Coming at you from the frozen tundra that is East Central Alberta, Canada. Streaming live on YouTube, Float, Facebook, Odyssey, Telegram, Twitch, and tonight, the Prepper Broadcast Network. Welcome back to the workshop. I am Toolman Tim, and today is August 11th, 2022, and this is episode 151 of the workshop podcast. Good to have you all back here. Always love our Thursday evenings. We have a little bigger audience coming across from the Prepper Broadcast Network. And again, if you guys uh, haven't taken a minute to go over and add them to your podcatcher, whichever your podcatcher happens to be, then please do that because there is so much good content. All my brothers and sisters in preparedness are over there. So take a minute and drop by and show them some workshop love. Okay. Two quick announcements and then one big deal that I'm sure everybody's excited about. Number one, there's not going to be a live stream this Saturday evening. I'm going to take my wife out. We're going to have a nice evening away. We haven't done it in a while. But what I do have for you, for those of you who didn't watch the live stream the other day with John Willis and Nicole Sauce, it'll be a two-part podcast. The audio will be in tomorrow evening and Saturday evening as part of the audio. So it's going to be two parts, two and a half hour long episodes. I'm going to split it up into two parts for you. It'll be there in the podcast feed for you. But Sunday evening, I have an extra special guest I'm rather excited about. For those of you who know J.R. Haley, what an awesome gentleman he is. And if you don't, you're going to get to know him Sunday evening. He's going to drop by the, the workshop and we are going to chat all about guns, guns, guns. Really, what's going to happen is he's going to talk about guns and I'm going to listen because that man knows his shit when it comes to firearms. So take a minute and drop by Sunday evening. It's going to be great. And we've got uh, Martinson family in the house. We've got Little Klondike Outdoors. Great to see you, everybody. So, okay. Now, the big announcement for those on the audio that haven't seen it on social media yet. It's official today. The tactical patch of the month club is officially live. I've had a bunch of people sign up and subscribe already. I accidentally let the cat out of the bag yesterday on the afternoon live with John and Nicole, but I am excited. Thank you guys so far for the support. So for those of you who don't know what the hell the Tactical Patch of the Month Club is, it is going to be, everybody wants a way to support the content creators that they get value from. And I wanted to have something that I could give you guys value back with for the support that you show. So I decided, um, this started back quite a few months ago, a discussion with Brian from the Lots Project, when I asked him how he had so many hats. And he told me, I don't have a lot of hats. I just have one hat, but I have a lot of patches. I thought, what the hell are these? So it turns out, tactical patches, morale patches. I had some, just didn't know what they were. So here, guys, here I'm going to unveil live. So on the for those of you on the audio, I'm sorry. You can check it out at Patch of the Month Club. Sorry, PatchoftheMonth.co. So here's the first one. Here, this is a nice SOE wallet, and this is one of the two patches you'll be receiving in your first two months. This is uh, built like a brick. Anybody know what the rest of that is? Shit house. There we are. <laughs> so then. You know, if you get tired of that on your wallet or you want to put it on your plate carrier or your jacket or your hat or your water bottle, peel it off. And here comes the next one, just like this. And this one has been prepping since Y2K based on the um, sticker they put on all of the computers back in the day. I love that one. That was one of my favorites. I came up with that one. That one's been a long time in the works. But anyway, so those are the two. Uh, it's $10 a month. 
for $100 a year, you can subscribe. I'm excited. Uh, this was this is the big deal. Now, here's the other thing. We got Hunter in uh, from over on Twitch and Snail Creek Homestead. What a great interview I had with him on Sunday evening. There's going to be more coming. So you guys are going to get the patches every single month. I'm excited about that. It's the way, like I said, you can support the workshop if you feel like I give you value. But the other thing that's going to come is we're going to have some exclusive discounts for vendors and different products that you guys love that I recommend. We're going to have exclusive content from in courses from other content creators down the road. So I'm going to have, you know, somebody come in and either teach a course or do a video on a certain subject that I know nothing about. And that'll be uh, for members as well. And there's going to be first, uh, first and exclusive access to different offers. So when I have, well, the next thing that I'm working on behind the scenes, which I can't spoil yet, but when they show up, uh, you guys will have first dibs on that. But anyway, so that is that. Uh, patchofthemonth.co. Run by there, check it out. You can sign it up. It's a, it's just a revolving PayPal subscription. So like I said, $10 a month, $100 a year. I'm excited already. Thank you guys for the support. This has been my baby. It's been a long time coming. To be absolutely honest, a person's always a little bit nervous when you launch something like this, but it's so far so good. All right. So today's tool, I got a call today from the town and they said, hey, one of the rentals you look after, we just scanned the water meter and it said it used like 10 to 15 times the water it normally uses. So we get down in the basement of this one that has a crawl space and one of the old PEX fittings had completely rotted off. And it's not even that old. It's been done in the last five years, but the water, I'm not sure what happened, but the brass just completely collapsed. So today's tool, because I had to go down and cut off the PEX pipe, is the Ratcheting PEX Pipe Cutter, two-piece set by Thinkwork on Amazon. I love that thing. It's dirt cheap. You get a big ratcheting orange one and then a small handheld one that will also work in tight spaces. So if you're looking for something like that, it's in the description below. You can pick it up at Amazon, support the workshop. You know the routine. But anyway, there we are. So we got through it. Sorry for the extra long time talking about... Uh, <laughs> my advertisements, but I'm excited about this. And here we are. So the bucket, the five gallon bucket episode was so well received that that was the episode I decided to promote over on fountain.fm. If you guys know about fountain, use it. It's awesome. It's a great way to actually earn Bitcoin by listening to podcasts and supporting the creators you listen to. But it was so well received that it got me thinking. I love five gallon buckets and something I love just as much, if not maybe a little bit more, is the lowly milk crate. And when I call it the lowly milk crate, I don't mean that it's useless. I just mean that most people, if they have one, they throw it in the trash or they don't worry about it. They just, they never think about all the uses for it, right? And now here is the old man geek in me. But every time I go, um, in Hunter, yes, you can give, uh, feel free to post. Hunter wants to post his reference code for Fountain. Throw it in here and we will give you the workshop love and make sure everybody gets it so you can get the full multiplication of these uh, sats that they send you. So when I go and do a property cleanup, there's nothing that excites me more than finding milk crates. <laughs> I actually judge how successful a cleanup is strictly by how many milk crates I find. You know, can I use more? Oh, I can always use one more. It's like people say, um, am I the, uh, how do you want to put it? Um, you know, do I need more guns? Sure. Who, you know, what's the answer? One more, right? Uh, Doritos chips. Well, no, no, no more Doritos chips. But anyway, 
it is what it is. So yes, absolutely. But yes, Hunter, go ahead and post it in here and I will post it so everybody can see it for you. He's the only one over on Twitch. So if anybody wants to go and see him, say hello. Okay. So yeah, we had fun with a five gallon bucket. So what I did with the last episode for those who wasn't here, uh, basically I give you a whole bunch of uses that maybe some of you hadn't thought of. So hopefully you'll pick up some on that. I give you some interesting facts because that's the kind of geek that I am give you a little bit of history and then we talked about the best place to pick some up so guess what that's what we're going to do with the milk crates tonight first off <laughs> so if something like the history of milk crates bores you then yeah probably i i don't know uh, maybe this podcast isn't for you because i do my best to make everyday mundane topics slightly interesting so here we go <clears throat> so i started digging in for those of you i mean they're almost as ubiquitous, there we go, as the five-gallon bucket. They're just around all the time. They're just background noise, white noise in the world of garbage. And you never really think, where in the hell did they even come from? And of course, plastic injection molding, just like buckets. A guy named Jeff Milton from Australia worked for the Dairy Farmers Cooperative Milk Company, say that 10 times fast, in the 50s and 60s, he worked on a bunch of different crates for transporting milk cartons, bottles, that sort of thing, and eventually uh, standardized on the what he called the perforated plastic cube. I thought that was kind of cool. So back, way back in the 40s, apparently milk, I didn't even know this, and if you guys did, cool, but it was uh, milk, at least over in Australia, and I'm thinking here too, was delivered by a guy on horseback from a big jug that would just come by and pour it loose into what they called a billy can. I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And then right after that, they said there was a big rise in consumer demand for sealed containers and, of course, a whole bunch of new, faster-moving machinery at the factories. So when all that came in, they needed to figure out a way to keep it all together. So originally, when it was milk bottles, they used wooden crates. I, I didn't know this. I was talking to uh, John Willis about it, and he mentioned... They used to use wooden crates with metal reinforcement around the outside. I found some pictures. Look them up. They're kind of cool. So anyway, they moved away from milk bottles, and they wanted something a little easier, um, a little more durable, a little cheaper. So they ended up switching over to a stainless steel wire rack. And guess what? Didn't work. What was happening was the fast-moving machinery, everything would bend and twist and get jammed up in the machinery. So that had to go out as fast as they brought it in. They thought, hey, this is a great idea. And uh, yeah, Snail Creek says he uses them in the deep freeze. And I have that as one of my lists. So there we are. I'm, yeah, yeah. So here, we, I'm just going to, uh, so anybody, we're going to copy and paste. I don't know if I can copy and paste that. If anybody can copy and paste that comment for me and repost it in the YouTube comments, uh, Hunter put up his code for fountain.fm. So yeah, there we are. So the, anyway, the wire crates would get all jammed up in the machinery. They didn't work at all. And in the meantime, they were starting to switch to plastic jugs and paper cartons. And so that's where they came up with the everyday kind of use to uh, milk crates. Apparently, there was another company working on them at the same time in North America. And they ended up patenting something very similar in the 60s, the 50s or 60s in North America, separate from what happened in Australia. It's funny how that happens, hey? Uh, two or three people, two or three companies from different parts of the world start working on a problem and come up with similar solutions almost at the same time. Just kind of interesting. I always enjoyed that when things like that happen. Okay, so let's dive in. I did quite a bit of digging to find uh, 31 different uses for the milk crate. 
Now, if you guys have other ones, when we, um, as we go along, throw them up there, I will add them to the comments and I will try to remember to add them to my notes afterwards. But you're not going to believe this, Mike, but uh, Snail Creek Homestead, the very first one that I put up there was a freezer organizer. Uh, Mike mentioned it and Nicole mentioned it yesterday when I was chatting with her as well. And they work great. And I almost think Chris Dixon mentioned this a while back too, but they fit in uh, really nice. Now, when I go and pick up my side of beef at the butcher, I usually take a bunch of milk crates with me and carry the meat back because they're sturdy and they have handles. But I never thought to throw them right down in the um, bottom of the deep freeze. So I'm going to try that next time. But yeah, they're great. I mean, and the thing is, I don't know about you guys, but the bigger the deep freeze, the harder it is to keep it organized. And I'd be willing to, to uh, sacrifice a little bit of space to have it better organized. So that's what I'm going to try. And <laughs> uh, Chicken Hawk might even be at work right now, but he said he just unloaded 15 pallets of milk and milk crates at work. Timely topic. Always love it. Oh, Martinson family brought up a live trap for trout fishing. That's a beautiful one. So we're going to add that as number two here. But yeah, it works. Now, how about, I mean, this is one you see absolutely everywhere. And I, every time I think of it, I think of my, uh, I have a, a family member who, uh, I don't know, just always lived kind of the hobo life and always drove a bike everywhere. And he never went anywhere without at least one milk crate on the back. And sometimes if he was heading places, he would put another milk crate on the front. And I always thought that was, I mean, it's as simple and as commonplace as anybody's seen, but they work great. Uh, one I didn't add to this list, but I thought was kind of funny. Uh, you know those uh, scooters that kids stand on? They got the two handles and then they kick them like a skateboard. Well, I saw a picture of some lazy kids using a milk crate as a seat. So they would sit on it and they could ride down a hill. Uh, that was kind of cool. Now for me, uh, the next one that I absolutely love is garage storage. So this is where almost all of my milk crates uh, rest once I bring them home. They end up on shelves. They end up under my workbench. But they're great because you can stack them three, four, five, six high, however you want to do it. You can see what's in them. And they're as sturdy as all get out. So I have one for big, heavy chunks of metal, things like uh, heavy hinges, heavy uh, barrel bolts, locks, whatever I happen to have, that all goes in there. I have another one for all of my window washing gear, so I can just grab it and go. I've got all my squeegees and my soap and my scrapers, everything right in there. And it works beautifully. It's one of the best garage organizers I've ever used. Now, another one I came across, actually somebody mentioned this to me, but you could use it as a makeshift downspout filter. So if you end up, you know how, you know, especially during heavy rainstorms, a lot of stuff gets washed down your downspout and then it leaves a big nasty pile on the ground and it's almost impossible to pick it up. Well, you can set that up on something, run your downspout into the milk crate and it'll collect all the big leaf and debris. If you want to get even more fancy, you can put burlap in there and it'll filter out even the dirt so that you have nothing to clean up on your lawn. But I thought that one was pretty cool. Now, probably... I hadn't seen this before. I obviously I won't take credit for it, but I was I was pretty happy that I came up with this on my own, or at least seen it somewhere and came up with it subconsciously. But propane tank transporters. So whenever I go to the city, uh, usually Edmonton's about three hours away, and if I have a bunch of empty propane tanks, I will take them to Costco because I can fill them there for about a third the cost of my local place. They fit twenty pounders and thirty pounders. I didn't think there was any difference in the diameter. The 30 seem every bit just slightly more snug. 
But what they do is you can fit them in there, slide two or three of them together, and then put a ratchet strap over the whole lot up through the handles of the propane tanks, and they'll sit perfectly in the box of a truck without falling over or anything happening. It's great. I love it. So what's our next one here? So our next one is, now, beware of this one, a step stool. Now, my skinny ass has broken one or two using them as a step stool. So this is my warning. When you stand on something, well, don't use it unless you absolutely need to. But if you do, stand on the outside edge with two feet. Or better yet, put it on an angle so it looks like a diamond when you're looking down at it. And put your feet on both. Uh, of the, the two corners. That's the safest way. Or put a piece of plywood on it. But in a pinch, when I was doing some painting at a lot of rentals and I would take all my painting gear and a couple of melt crates, if I needed to reach a spot and I didn't have a stepladder with me, flip that bugger over, step up on it, work great. Uh, now, shelving or a shoe, shoe rack. I saw this one. I thought this was kind of cool. Pretty simple. You just put them up against a wall in a pattern of, say, two high and three wide or whatever. Uh, facing out and they fit shoes wonderfully <laughs> yeah uh, Nate says skinny I've put my foot through them a few times as well hey Tim and crew good to have you Nate yeah I have to I actually have one that I saved uh, that I still use for um, you know storing stuff in but it needs to be light stuff because three quarters of the bottom is completely broken out where my old size 14 foot went through so just be careful I didn't tell you to do it but if you're going to do it Pay attention and be safe because, yeah, do as I say and not as I do because I'm really bad at that. Anyway, uh, next one, trash bin. I thought this was kind of cool, and I've used them for this before. You can even throw one in the back seat of your truck if you need to, but just get a, a small, you know, you're going to need something a little bigger than a garbage can, uh, than like a bathroom garbage can garbage bag. Put it in there, put a garbage can in there, pull it up, and tie it off. And Nate says best use is for organizing freezers. Yeah, that's a great one. Love that one. Uh, car trunk organizer, these are great too. Throw two or three of them in there. You can tie them together if you want. But what's great is the bins themselves, the crates themselves, will slide around, but the shit won't go anywhere. They're so stable, they just work great. So yeah, throw them in, throw them in the trunk of your car, throw them in the box of your truck, whatever it happens to be. Store them in there. And for the most part, unless you roll your vehicle over, then you got bigger problems. Shit's not going anywhere. Next one, I thought this was kind of cool. You can order wheels for them, or you can just makeshift wheels. But I've seen quite a few times uh, online when I was doing some research, put two wheels on the back and a little handle on the front, and you've got a like a yard trolley or something for moving heavy shit around. So you can kind of lift it up, roll it around, and it made a really good storage and transportation trolley for a lot of different things. But I, I thought that was a pretty cool one. Uh, something else. Hey, there we are. Uh, Chris Dixon made it in. He says, what number on where he says, I have a bet going that Tim won't make 50. Yes. So um, I believe I have, let's see, 30, 30 well, we, we've added two more. So we have 33 uses for milk crates tonight, but a whole bunch of cool, interesting facts too. A uh, hunter says, keep my job site coffee set up in a crate, use it as a table or a seat, especially in winter. That's great. Awesome. I love that one too. Nate says, uh, load bar and a pickup and three 18-gallon bins by the tailgate for groceries. Yep, that'll work. Okay, what do we got next here for you guys? So I came across these. They are 3D printed clips. And I sometimes I wish I took pictures of some of this stuff. So what they do is they clip down in. 
they have teeth on them that are made to fit the little diamond or diagonal pattern that's in them. And when they go down in, you clip, say, two or four, and they'll hold dividers. So you can clip them up on the sides, and then you can slide plastic dividers down in them. And it'll allow you to, if you had smaller stuff, like, say, I don't know, half inch or three quarter copper plumbing, although that would be worth a mint, but PEX fittings or whatever, you can use it as a parts organizer. So you can put two or four or six dividers down in it using those 3D printed clips. And now you have a parts organizer. Um, this was a tip more than a use, but it works really good. If you're going to paint them, a lot of people like to paint them for decor. I didn't put this one up there, but a lot of people like to use them for light shades. That's not my cup of tea. That's why I didn't put it on the list. But if you're going to paint them, make sure you paint them with something like Krylon paint. Krylon is a plastic type paint. And what it does is it kind of slightly etches the plastic. It, it has a chemical reaction so that if you spray it on quickly, it's hard to explain, but it kind of eats its way into the plastic without damaging it. And it really holds well. If you ever need to paint plastic, especially milk crates, use Krylon paint for it. Um, now here's another one. I seen this. This was really cool. I hate to destroy a perfectly good melt crate, but say you have one that one of the sides is kind of broken on. You can cut them off at four inches high, and then you have a whole bunch of stackable parts uh, organizers. Again, a different type though. Um, oh, and Chris says you can use an adhesion promoter as well for that. That makes sense. So yeah, if you cut them about four inches high, you can make yourself a whole bunch of stackable part trays. I thought that was kind of neat as well. Uh, now, this was one I came up with. I didn't even find it, but I was quite impressed. Um, now, of course, they hold four one-gallon jugs of milk, but you ain't going to store milk long-term in those no matter what you have. So how about using them for your long-term water storage? Everybody spends a ton of money on water cubes. Well, if you've got four one-gallon kind of water jugs and stack them in there, you've got four gallons per cube. You've got a uh, a space you just stack them straight up and you could stack them without needing any shelves because they're self-supporting i like that quite a bit oh chris says he uses them to shade seedlings in the spring great yes they're going to let some sun through but not all i love that that's a great one another one put a handle on it like a rope or a couple of ropes and you can use them as a shopping basket or a carrying basket for when you go out and harvest comfrey or berries or a few apples or things like that uh, Chicken Hawk says, screw them to the wall and make them into shelves. Yes, I love that. And something that's really good for those, depending on what kind of screws you're using, either like, you know, if, if you're using like a thick deck screw, if you've ever seen fender washers, they are the best. So what they are is they're probably an inch or an inch and a half in diameter, maybe even a little longer, but all they have is a small hole in the center for a screw to go through. So what they do is the screw holds them into place. But the big wide washer gives you a whole bunch of surface area to hold on uh, with those because they have big holes in the bottom, right? But yes, if you've never seen a fender washer, they're one of my go-tos. Love them, and they'll work great for screwing milk crates up to a wall. Now, another one that I've used it for in the past is a kindling holder or a small firewood holder. So what I'll end up doing is set it on the floor in my garage, and I'll just stack all the kindling in it so it kind of keeps the mess contained and I have it, lets the air get around it, but it works really good. Uh, just don't get it too close to the wood stove because you're going to end up with a melted milk crate, but they work really good for that. Bed frames. This is one I'd never seen before, but apparently uh, college students do this a lot. They go and steal however many you need. There's plans on the internet for as many as you want, 
uh, you, to figure out whether it's a single mattress or a king mattress, and you just put them all the way around, and you get yourself a completely illegal, or whatever you want to call it, uh, box spring for free. Uh, Nate says, oh, okay, uh, deck screws with fender washers keeps our hardware cloth attached to the chicken coop. Yes, they're a great way to do it, and hunters used them for firewood before too. Uh, oh, Chris says his milk crate, his his box spring set on milk crates for years. Nothing wrong with that. Love it. Um, another one I seen was uh, kind of pretty cool, actually. Line it with burlap and then use it as a planter. So then you've got a completely movable planter that the water won't build up in too much, but it'll pass through, but it seals it up enough to hold the soil in. So, you, you know, you could plant your berries in it. You could plant a whole bunch of stuff, but it gives you these, you know, kind of compact, portable, all-contained planter boxes. I thought that was kind of neat. You could do something with colors if you wanted, but yeah, just throw some burlap in there and you've got a perfectly good planter. Now, I also saw a portable toilet. Now, it was interesting. You could put a toilet seat on it and use it for a potty, a portable potty for little kids. Some people added feet or spacers to them so you could sit up on them. I don't know if I want my ass sitting on a milk crate, but in a pinch, it would work. You know, garbage bag down inside and then a toilet seat on top. And you get yourself a luggable loo. A children's swing. Oh, this one was kind of neat. You'd want to be careful because you had to cut a space out in it for their feet to fit through. I mean, you this this is pretty redneck ingenuity if I've ever mentioned it before. But yeah, it works. You could tie rope to it, hang it from a tree or whatever, and swing it back and forth. But uh, I would just want to be careful that you don't leave any sharp edges for the poor kid to <laughs> impale themselves on. And Hunter says he'll stick with his five-gallon potty. I think so, too. Uh, you know, like I said, it would work really good for kids if they needed something small to sit on when you're camping or in a long-term situation, but I kind of like the five-gallon bucket a little bit better. Um, now, this is one I've used quite a bit over the years, but I've used milk crates in the past to store my mason jars in. Now, they're not ideal. I want to say they'll hold nine or ten per level, but when you've got nothing else to store them in and you want a safe, stackable place to put highly breakable highly valuable product, milk crates work great for mason jars. So if you've ever looked at that, check it out. I, it works for me. Now, I thought this one was really cool. You can get a, a foam slash uh, fabric cooler that fits perfectly one milk crate. Now, you could. the reason they have those is for schools. So if you're doing like a milk program or if you say you're doing milk delivery to a bunch of um, homestayed people or elderly, you can take one milk crate right out of the fridge, drop it down into this shoulder strap cooler, zip it up and take it with you. Now it's great for that kind of use, but I was thinking about repurposing it and turning it into some kind of storage cooler. You know, if you had things that you wanted to take with you, let's say a cake, for instance, you know, you had a really nice cake, but you're worried about it getting squished or or uh, you know, crushed in transit, throw it in there, keep it cool, and keep it fairly safe in transit. I thought that was a really neat thing. Now, something else, apparently, I'm not a kayaker, but kayakers use them a lot behind the seat for storage. And if you guys Google uh, kayak milk crates or kayak milk crate storage, there's just a ton of different designs. There's even some after, um, like aftermarket they look like milk crates, but they've actually been made by a company. And I thought, hey, that's uh, it's really neat. So a lot of them have like um, little hooks on the side to put your 
fishing rods in and then little individual uh, containers inside for holding your bait or your tackle and all of that. And yeah, they were, they're really neat. And apparently they fit in a lot of kayaks right behind the seat. Some people cut them down, but they work really well. Um, let's see here. Uh, Chris says we use them for root vegetable storage too. When you bring them in, it's like 10 pounds of veg. Great idea. And then again, you can keep them up because I got a bag of potatoes right now in my prepper pantry that's been sitting on the cement for too long and they went wonky. So yeah, this would be great. It would help keep them up off the ground, let the air circulate a little bit, hopefully um, not make, you know, helpfully promote them not to rot too much. I love that. This this is why I do these episodes, guys. I love it because I come up, I come to you guys with 31 and you guys give me another 10 or 12 excellent tips as we go along. Um, now, um, this is another kind of cool tip. I've seen a few people online, they wanted a lid for their milk crate. Now, some people just zip tied them on, some people locked them on, whatever. But again, they took a broken milk crate and they just cut the bottom off it so that you just had that little step down from it and it fit perfectly into the milk crate. So you just, because obviously it's made to fit that way, but you put it on the top and all you've got is a perfect um, square, recess square that fits down onto the existing milk crate like a lid. Then you could put hinges on it or you could put a couple locks. I was thinking like um, cable clamps, if you guys know what those are, or U-bolts, something like that. Any one of those would work, but... Uh, yeah, because sometimes people want to put, I wouldn't say valuables, but things they don't necessarily want stolen immediately. <laughs> so it was a good way to uh, to do that. Um, there's another one that you can, this was actually one you could buy on Amazon. The last few are kind of Amazon things. This was a mobile workstation for a computer, um, for an in-vehicle computer workstation. So it basically, you could put, you know, um, papers and um, paperwork and different things down in the crate. Then it had a couple of clip-on things, one to hold, say, a book you're reading, one to hold a laptop or a tablet. It was okay. I actually thought it was kind of ingenious. Uh, Nate says you could use zip ties for the hinge. Yeah, you absolutely could, uh, especially if you didn't care if somebody ripped it off. But, I mean, it's a milk crate. If they want to get into it, you know, a Zippo lighter will get you into it in a couple of minutes. Uh, another product I found on Amazon that was a really cool uh, use for it was a dolly for milk crates. So it's like one of those four-wheeled casters that's made to fit perfectly in milk crates. I picture it for use in restaurants and things, but I'm sure, you know, those ingenious people out in the workshop community could come up with better uses for it. But it fits a perfect, you know, milk crate in it. So what you could do is, like when I worked at Dairy Queen, the uh, ice milk, we didn't call it ice cream, the ice milk mix came in in big bags. And each one set in a uh, milk crate, but they're heavy as all get out. So you could have five or six or seven of them stacked up. And if you had them sitting on that dolly, you could just move them around with one hand in the freezer or a fridge. So I thought those were kind of cool. They also make cargo nets for milk crates. They're like 11 and a half inches by 11 and a half inches. So if you wanted to store stuff in it and you wanted to just keep it contained into there, you can get those little stretchable nets with bungee cords, clip them all down. You know, you could store a basketball, I don't know, but something in there that you wanted to kind of exceed the storage space, but keep it secure, grab yourself one of them. And I thought this was an excellent tip. So just before I went live, uh, Steve on YouTube messaged and said that uh, five gallon water jugs fit perfectly in there. I thought that was an excellent tip because again, 
Um, and I'm, I think I'm going to have to start using this because what I end up doing, I go and fill the water uh, jugs for Becky at the daycare. I throw them in the back of the truck and then I forget they're in there. I hit the brakes and the lack of friction takes over. And guess what? Whoom, slides ahead, rolls over. I've broken one or two that way. Uh, I've actually sometimes put them in the back seat so they wouldn't freeze and then open the door. And guess what? Fall out and break. So with a milk crate, at least uh, if it fell, well, it's still going to break, but it's going to be less likely to tip over and, and get going. So I, I like that one. That was probably the best bonus tip I got of the night from everybody. But yeah, so that was 31 plus another, I don't know, 13 community source tips maybe. So that was pretty damn good, I thought. So then, of course, I had to get you guys some interesting facts from uh, all about milk crates. So here, uh, Hunter says, I'm looking on the 3D printer stuff. They have stacking dividers and corners for stacking them sideways. Bookcase connectors. Awesome. See, this is great because I can't think of all that stuff as I'm prepping for these shows. So thanks, Hunter. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> Dixon said, uh, close enough. We did pretty good. We didn't quite hit 50, but you know, somewhere in between. So the world record for stacking milk crates. Now, this doesn't just mean putting them on top and, and you know, like from a cherry picker or something like that. So the Guinness Book of World Record for stacking milk crates. And what they mean by that is you put one on, you put two on, whatever. When you get to your height, you then need to shimmy up and stand on top of it. So the, I don't have the balls to do this, but the world record is 26 milk crates. So some poor soul stacked 26 milk crates one after the other, and then stood on top of them to get the world record. I mean, hey, if that's what you're into, great. Not for me. <laughs> anyway, uh, so here's another cool fact for you. Yep, Hunter, I am going to talk about the milk crate challenge in a few minutes. Uh, not a whole lot, but just a little. So each year, the dairy industry <laughs> loses between 20 and 25 million crates, worth between 80 and 100 million dollars. Uh, so apparently that's why they take um, theft of milk crates fairly seriously. Rather kind of interesting. So <laughs> so uh, Nate says, so that's how we got the milk crate challenge. I think maybe it is. I have no idea how it started, but yeah, uh, not my cup of tea. So there's actually a law. I mean, there's laws all across. If you guys ever look on the milk crates, it says um, unlawful possession of this is, you know, can put you in jail or whatever. But in Pennsylvania, they have a law that says unauthorized use of milk crates can result in a fine of $300 or imprisonment of up to 90 days. Well, for starters, my ass is going to be paying the 300 bucks. I'm not going to jail for 90 days over $300. But anyway, uh, <laughs> in Australia, um, in Queensland, as a matter of fact, somebody was fined $1,500 for stealing 150 milk crates from a local business in Australia. <laughs> he was making make makeshift furniture for his apartment and then selling them to other people. But uh, yeah, he ended up getting a fine of $1,500. That was interesting. Here's something else interesting about <laughs> Chicken Hawk says he destroys between 10 and 20 a week at work with his forklift. I totally, totally believe it. And Hunter says 90 days in jail would be a staycation. Well, you wouldn't be able to do anything but think. So I guess that's, uh, you know, kind of fun. Um, the theft of milk crates in the U.S. has risen and fallen with the price of oil. I thought, well, that is really weird. So what ended up happening is, because, of course, they're made from petroleum-based plastic, when the price of oil is up, plastic uh, 
repurposers, plastic recyclers pay a higher price for like the, the plastic in milk crates is a high quality plastic. So guys will steal them by the hundreds, take them to the plastic recyclers, get paid pennies on the dollar for them, and they shred them, turn them into plastic pellets and make high quality recycled plastic out of it. Kind of defeats the purpose of it, but a crackhead's going to crackhead. That's exactly what ends up happening. I thought, that's eh, kind of interesting, right? Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Now, this one was kind of interesting. Uh, an organized crime racket in Baltimore allegedly made nearly half a million dollars in seven months stealing milk crates and selling them to re plastic recycling places. So where did that money end up going? But, you know, they always say the mafia is into everything. Well, apparently they're into milk crate theft as well. This one was kind of cool. So many weird milk crate stories in Australia, but a knife-wielding man, of course, he had to be knife-wielding because it's Australia. I wonder if it was a butter knife or a, uh, you know, a dessert fork or something. But a knife-wielding man with a history of mental illness uh, who was suspected of killing a woman and stabbing another was stopped by the public when they were able to pin him down using a milk crate. So what they ended up, <laughs> Nate, as soon as I said yes. So as <laughs> What they did was uh, three people knocked him down and one person put a milk crate over his face and his neck and sat on it or, or held him down so he, he could breathe, but he couldn't lift his head. I thought that was pretty friggin' ingenious. Nate says crackhead's going to crackhead. Sounds like a good patch. I think it does too, my friend. We'll remember that. Uh, they said there was video of this, which I never looked up, but I thought it'd be kind of cool, where the, uh, the people pinned the man to the pavement, two held his body, and one put a plastic milk crate over his head. So they're good for just about anything. Uh, I had to do the math or searched up on it. And uh, the average milk crate costs the dairy industry about four bucks. So they get them, obviously, because they're buying millions of them. Uh, quite a bit cheaper than you and I could buy them for. But four bucks. So now the infamous milk crate challenge. One of the dumbest things to ever come out of social media. But anyway, there is no known cases of somebody dying from doing the milk crate challenge. There was a lady in Dallas who was dumb enough to do it on cement, who fell off, hit her head, and had extreme cranial bleeding. So she didn't die, apparently, but the story went around the internet that she did. Uh, lots of entertainment. Absolutely, Nate. However, however, in Louisiana, Shreveport to be exact, some fuller was doing the milk crate challenge, and some gangbangers came by did a drive-by shooting and killed three people while the man was still standing on top of the milk crates. So there's two interesting stories that made the world none the better for doing the milk crate challenge. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and this one was kind of cool. In July of 2008, Walmart and a bunch of other big box stores started introducing a square milk jug that doesn't need to be transported in a crate. They called it the quote-unquote green milk jugs, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be drinking green milk. Um, kind of sour. But anyway, <laughs> they claimed it was environmentally friendly because they were self-sustaining, self-stackable, could be transported without crates, and therefore the company didn't need to buy reusable crates. Now, the only thing that I was wondering about was, since they're not buying the usable crates, how much more plastic goes into these quote-unquote stackable, uh, transportable milk crates themselves or milk jug crates whatever the hell you want to call them i don't know anyway i couldn't find a picture of them sounds like they didn't hit it off um sounds like they went back to the standard kind of milk crate design 
And um, so if you're wondering, because I wasn't 100% sure, standard four-gallon milk crates come in at 12 inches by 12 inches. And the oddball six-gallon ones come in at 12 inches by 18 and a quarter inches. Now, I think I... Okay. So there was one use that I didn't list for you guys because it's changed. So in the past, people used milk crates to store the records in. Now, one day I thought, hey, I'm going to bring a milk crate inside and I'm going to store my records in it. Well, guess what? My records didn't fit in the milk crate. Now, there is a story all across the internet. Nobody knows if it's absolutely true or not, but back quite a while ago, uh, you know, back in the 70s, the heyday of the vinyl record, they say that milk companies changed the size of milk crates ever so slightly so they wouldn't hold records anymore. Because when records were so popular, apparently there was such a raft of theft on milk crates that they actually changed the size, or at least this is how the urban legend goes, slightly smaller so that records wouldn't fit in it anymore. So if that's the case, you know, a bunch of pot-smoking, Led Zeppelin-listening-to people changed the dairy industry forever simply because they needed a way to support and store their vinyl. I thought that was kind of interesting. But anyway, uh, so Nate Lamaster wants to know, who came up with the milk bags? Now, I'm not sure what he means by milk bags, but I'm guessing, no, I'm just kidding. He means the bagged milk that's on the east coast of Canada and uh, I think maybe in a little bit of the U.S. I will look up the history on that and get back to you, my friend. But it's definitely, if you haven't seen it, they're a liter and a quarter, so a little over a quart of milk in a little shaky bag, and you put it down in a holder and snip the end off. A totally weird aberration of living on the east coast of Canada. Um, I know they're in Ontario as well. They freeze really well. It's one way to freeze milk for storage for long term. But yeah, so anyway, a bunch of pot smoking, Led Zeppelin listening to people, uh, changed the size of the milk crates, at least according to internet lore. So finally, I figured, hey, let's put together a list of the best places to get milk crates. So if you guys have another one, you can always throw it up here. And Martinson family says there might be a few milk crates nearby holding Lionel Richie and Black Sabbath. Absolutely. And uh, Nate says, oh, yeah, Wisconsin and Minnesota for bagged milk as well. Got to go to the quick pick and get us some bagged milk. Anyway, so uh, number one. I put this list together myself, found some other ones on the internet. I didn't realize this. A lot of people say if you go and ask grocery stores, there's quite often they'll have old crates. Yeah, Chicken Hawk says his work. I don't want to get him in trouble. <clears throat> so if you ask at grocery stores, a lot of times they'll give them to you, especially if they have like dinged up ones or some for old companies they don't work with anymore and they're just kicking up space or taking up space and, uh, you know, collecting dust per se, although you wouldn't collect a lot of dust in them because there's holes in it. But uh, yeah, grocery store. So knock on the door, ask your local grocery store and see what you can find out. Number two, catering businesses. They said these are really good because they end up quite often buying things from uh, bulk, bulk stores that have their milk in crates. And a lot of times they just take them with them and don't think about it. And then they get a surplus of them and they have no way to return them. So check out catering businesses. Uh, factories. So again, uh, places that make them or places that uh, handle or bring in a large amount of milk. Another place to check out restaurants. So like I said, uh, <clears throat> I may or may not have had to walk past a Dairy Queen on my way to school for the first seven years of my life. And I may or may not have grabbed 
one or a dozen milk crates and taking them home and used them for seats in my treehouse. Just saying. Anyway, but restaurants are a great place to check out. I do not condone going and taking them by yourself without asking, but you can always ask and say, hey, and most people, if you just ask somebody like, yeah, take a couple. They don't really care. My favorite place to find them? Well, a couple different places, but one of my favorite places is the landfill. I got really excited the other day. I seen one from a distance as I was pulling up to the garbage pile. I ran over like a little kid at Christmas, getting ready to open up his Christmas presents. And it was squished by the excavator. I was like, I was very disappointed. But that's a good place to check. Another one is to drive around. If you live in a college town, drive around on college move-out day. Because college kids are notorious for um, thieving or taking milk crates to use for temporary furniture. And then when they have to get their ass to the dorm room to get their deposit back, they throw it to the curb and fly home to whatever country they're from. So yeah, check out the curb and the, you know, the side of the road during uh, college move out day. Now, my absolute favorite way to get them, and this isn't for everybody, but if you're getting into garbage cleanup or property cleanup, tenants leave them behind constantly. I do a lot of um, bank repo cleanups after the house has been secured. And I do a lot of um, cleanups of rental properties after quote unquote midnight moves and people leave them behind constantly. It's always something they leave behind. I, I don't know if I could tell you of a single bank property I secured that didn't have at least one milk crate in them. So that's a good way to check it out. Um, oh, wow. Uh, Chris Dixon says a local auction company has two 50 foot vans full of them and they sell them by the lot of five. Man, there ain't nothing wrong with that. If you can find a good deal on that, uh, how much do they sell them for uh, by the lot of five? Or how much do they typically go for, Chris? That's a good question to ask. Uh, Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace is another place. Again, the thing about milk crates is technically they're illegal to own. So I don't know. You wouldn't really want to pay for them unless you had to. I, they're illegal to own if they have that stamp on them, but nobody really cares. It's like the rule about ripping the tag off your mattress. You know how... As a kid, you're always scared if you did it, you're going to end up going to prison and, you know, being somebody's girlfriend. Well, anyway, that happens. But, yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about it. But check on Craigslist, check on Marketplace. Sometimes people are giving them away or selling them for a couple bucks a piece. Now, I came across a source on the Internet. Imagine that. MilkCratesDirect.com. There is a blank, blank, direct.com of absolutely everything. So check them out. They will sell them to you at the... Uh, delivered to your door price of $6.95 per milk crate and they have every color under the sun and they are every bit as good they're not cheap knockoff ikea brand milk crates that'll break as soon as you sneeze on them these are legit heavy duty milk crates for $6.95 um, a lot of times you need to order a few in order to get free shipping with them so the other place to get them is home depot or lowe's but right now Jeez, I could never imagine paying this, but they are $11.98 US dollars. So 12 bucks US at Home Depot. Ah, too much for me, guys. But yeah, I, I'm a scrounger. You know, one of the uh repaired and the tenants of preparedness is thou shalt scrounge. So anybody out there who can find them for free, all the better. So uh Dixon, Chris Dixon says, uh, lots of five milk crates go for about 20 bucks plus. That's reasonable. I still don't want to pay four bucks for one if I, I don't know. It's kind of a game for me. It's like driving along and if I see a jerry can on the side of the highway, I'll stop and pick it up. On occasion, I uh, I definitely 
have been known to find a full twice i found a full container of gas on the side of the road that didn't break or leak or anything so yeah so i hope you guys enjoyed that i figured i kind of thought i'd be about 45 minutes so i i saved i you know i, I try not to read the news a whole lot but i do read uh, google news canada a fair bit and i find some interesting stories so i usually save the link and if i know one of the shows is going to be a little bit short i do one of these fun little hey here's a news story let's discuss it a bit and so our buddy josh the renegade butcher came up with a name for this section it is going to be forever known as the loose screws the nuts and bolts of the latest news i love that title we're going to stick with it and here it is so um if you guys know in canada we have what a couple of provinces that are islands Newfoundland is one of them. And right now, apparently there's quite the forest fire on the go there. And I thought I would share this story with you. And if you guys have any thoughts, or maybe we can just talk a little bit of maybe, I don't know, how do you want to put it? The lack of preparedness on the residents part and what people could do to better prepare for a forest fire if you live on an island. I mean, yeah, you can always wade out into the water, but that's not a great idea either. But uh, Deputy Mayor of a southern Newfoundland town said Monday, his community is running out of food. This is always how they start these news stories. The community is running out of food as it remains cut off from the rest of the island due to the worst forest fires the province has seen in 60 years. Roy Drake said the three stores, so the, he is the Deputy Mayor, and uh, uh, he said the three stores in the town will be likely out of food in the next day or two. Uh, says he owns the smallest of the three stores in the town of about 1600 and there's not a jug of milk or a loaf of bread left on any of the shelves. I mean, this is pretty typical anyway when there's storms and that kind of stuff. But he said things are starting to get a little stressful for residents. Uh, Drake said in a phone interview, said we got to get food within a day or two uh, to help us out. He says it's not just for us, but the entire region. I mean, yeah, I guess. How long had it been? Uh, four days, basically, they've been without... Uh, deliveries from the outside world so that should give us an idea how fast this uh chicken hawk will know all about just in time delivery but yeah it was definitely something to think about it's been four days um said uh things are starting to get a little stressful for the residents um Mon uh, the province said monday evening that they're going to start flying in essential goods to the stranded communities by helicopter now follow me here for a second I don't want to tear down on people a whole lot, but what, you know, how much better would it have been? Now, I'm just saying, I'm not trying to be a dick here, but could you imagine if people had more than four days worth of food on hand, they wouldn't have to deal with this, would they? So it says for the past two weeks, forest fires have forced officials to intermittently shut down remote 150 mile long road that connects the main highway across Newfoundland with the peninsula. Uh, and there's a few towns in there. And so it's been open and closed for a bunch of times. And they said the last time the road was open when this article was written two days ago was four days ago. So they'd been four days without food. Uh, Snail Creek said extra hot dogs and marshmallows. So according to the article, there isn't a real risk for the actual towns. They're just cut off from the outside world at the moment. So officials said the Saturday the fires are burning in a remote area. Oh, here we go. And the flames don't pose a risk to any homes or residents. So that's good. Now, I mean, I always think about, like, my cousin lived up in Fort McMurray, if you guys heard about that. There's only one main highway in, one main highway out, and a 
incredible forest fire went through there. Some, if you ever want to see some incredible footage, just look up the Fort McMurray wildfire on YouTube. It's incredible. It looks apocalyptic. But anyway, uh, in a video posted to social media, a Newfoundland Labrador Premier described this as the largest fire the province has seen since 1961. The Red Cross has set up emergency shelters for those stranded, and local officials have offered twice daily bus shuttles to emergency shelters for people needing to get out of the smoke. So they have like clean breathing areas and that kind of stuff. For those stranded south of the fire, the, the province is going to bring a ferry to bring supplies to the stranded communities and help people leave. Uh, yeah, so Nate says maybe build a second road so you don't get blocked off. That is a great idea. Uh, and of course, who builds the roads but the government with their stolen tax dollars and blah, blah, blah. And we all know that there is nothing slower than the speed of government. And that is exactly how it goes. <laughs> yeah, Martinson says there's a goddamn ocean right there. And yes, there absolutely is. I know. I don't know. So <laughs> anyway, they said the ferry was expected to arrive Tuesday. Get this, guys. So this is when things never work the way you want them to. And I'm not blaming the government for this per se. I can blame the government for a hell of a lot of stuff. But I said in the government's news release, they announced helicopters would bring in supplies. And they also said a ferry would. However, it was delayed by mechanical delays in St. John's, the big city, and they don't know when it's going to be ready. So you've got people who can't survive for four days without food from the grocery store. You have a government that's trying to ferry in supplies with a ferry that doesn't work all of a sudden. Again, what a great idea to have the uh, more than four days. I mean, you live on an island, shit gets bad at the best of times. We used to order our windows from Newfoundland, and that there would be times when they would tell us that they had no idea how long the windows would take to get there because you'd get to the ferry and you'd wait. And some people would wait days. I don't want to say a week, but you could wait a bunch of days to get on that ferry to get off the island. So, you know, you live in an island, you live in a remote area. Why the hell don't you have more than four days worth of supplies? David Neal, uh, a warning preparedness meteorologist for Environment and Climate Change Canada, said the fires were started on July 24th by a lightning strike amid an abnormally warm and dry summer. And then there's a bunch of propaganda in there about all the other junk that we ever have to listen to in these stories. And I skipped over that. They said, this is a very unique situation, he said, though he was hesitant to pin it directly on the province's changing climate. I don't know, whatever, whatever. Anyway, uh, Neil said there's about a half an inch of rain in the forecast for the area on Tuesday. It's not a great deal of rain, he admitted, but at the very least, it should bring some help to the folks trying to contain the fire. So kind of interesting. You live on an island, you have one, one mode of egress. I mean, yeah, you can get in boats and, and take off. Yes, I understand that. But you live on an island, you've got one main thoroughfare in or out. You have three grocery stores in the town and four days and they're out of food. They're out of all the essentials. No milk, no bread, nothing. I get it. Okay. I, I understand that, you know, you can't store a lot of milk. You can't store a lot of bread, but First off, the news paints it like a life or death scenario. I don't necessarily think it is. Uh, you know, you guys can share your thoughts in the comments on what you think. I think it's more of a, a people can't get their Mountain Dew and their Doritos per se. So they get a little pissed off and they say, what we need is more government because that's usually what happens, right? I don't want to bitch about the government all night long, but uh, <laughs> Hunter says, and people wonder why I want a helicopter. You know, 
that's the thing. I, I wish I could remember the name of the uh, story that I read a few years ago. It was about a, um, a ho not a hobo. Uh, a guy, what do they call the guys that live in the woods all the time? A hermit. Yeah. So, and uh, Martinson says uh, Newfoundland is a lot bigger than a lot of countries. Absolutely, it is. It's huge, and it has all its own challenges and kind of its own ecosystem and its own way of life. Uh, Aaron says freeze-dried milk. Exactly. So Hunter wants his own helicopter. Now, I read a story about a hermit who lived in northern BC who basically walked everything in to build his homestead on rocky mountain soil and decided that he needed a way to take his fares to the market and built himself from scratch an airplane. So if he could build an airplane, I'm sure somebody could come up with something. Nate says, don't you guys have ATVs? Yeah, I would think in Newfoundland that an ATV is um, considered a fancy transportation at some point. But yes, uh, yeah, ATVs are a great idea. Um, maybe some sort of plan. I don't know. I just, I just think in, if I live some, I mean, there it wasn't that long ago that the mate, you know, the capital of Newfoundland, St. John's, it's a big city. Apparently, you know, it's not big compared to say Chicago or Washington or New York or something, but they had like two or three feet of snow and were shut down for multiple days. So why not have, you know, your larder full? Why not have a pantry full? Why not have a deep freeze full? And like Aaron said, freeze dried milk, 50 pounds worth of flour, know how to make your, your bread. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but this one just really jumped up and bit me. I thought, you know, it just drives me crazy that when this article was written, of course, it was four days. So they would have interviewed the guy the day before. So it's really only probably three days at that point. And they'd ran out of the essentials. It was the same with the, the baby formula shortage. And that was sad. But I kind of felt bad because, and I'm not tooting her own horn, but Becky and I used, you know, we, we fed the twins the cheapest uh, parents' choice Walmart formula you could get because we didn't have a lot of money. But because we fed the cheapest stuff, we ended up buying eight or ten of them at a time. I mean, we had twins and they drank it like there was no tomorrow. But if you make sure you have it on hand, then when you have a forest fire. And here's the other thing, guys. This has been an on and off issue for the last two weeks. So why didn't they get something in place or why, you know, I would have ran out, you know, if they're saying, hey, we're going to open up the highway for a day or two. Well, my ass would have been shoring up my preps and heading to the nearest town and stocking up on all the milk and bread and everything else I happen to need, right? So uh, Nate says, what's the average temp in that area? It's coastal, so I'm going to guess probably 25 degrees Celsius, something in that area. I, uh, You know, inland probably gets a little bit warmer, but it's very similar, maybe even just slightly cooler than Nova Scotia where I grew up because it's so open and they'd get a lot of wind there. But yeah, I would say kind of in the, the mid to maybe high 20s if we're talking about this time of year. But they also said the uh, the humidex or the, the, the level of humidity in the air tends to be fairly high. And that tends to beat down forest fires a lot quicker than it does in areas like Alberta, where the Fort McMurray forest fire just continued burning east for, I think it was six or seven months afterwards. It was way up north and nobody needed to worry about it, but it was what it was. But yeah, like I said, um, again, I guess it's a good lesson for us to think about. What are the essentials? Yes, and Martinson's right. Most people, again, uh, my little nephew one day asked me, 
you know, uh, Uncle Tim, how did towns get where towns were? And Martinson says there's not many people inland. And I said on the East Coast especially, that that's where, you know, the, the, the earliest settlers showed up to North America. And the easiest place to get on, you know, get on land and to harbor your boats is in natural harbors. So you, they'd find one on the side and that's where they would, you know, they would go in and they would build a little town and then they'd go up a ways and they would find another harbor. So that that's kind of how Newfoundland was populated as well, was a whole bunch of little fishing communities and harbors, right? Port towns. Exactly, Martinson. Nate says, okay, but come winter, it's a hard freeze with snow. You'd, you'd think these morons would figure out to keep 15 to 30 days of food on hand. I agree. But unfortunately, it seems like the average Joe just doesn't have a plan to keep any food on hand. So we use it as a reminder to us to always be vigilant, always be prepared. Uh, think about the things that can happen. You know, forest fires aren't the most common thing to happen in Newfoundland, but apparently they're common enough. And of course, every time we turn on the news, it's a, you know, the biggest forest fire in 60 years or the biggest flood in 500 years, or it's a once in a thousand year event or whatever, right? Well, apparently we got to prep for some of that stuff at this point. So yeah, you know, food, firefighting equipment, a way to egress. I, I can tell you this, that if I lived on a road that only had one way in or out, uh, my ass would have a boat in the water or nearby that I could egress with fairly quick. So, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, <laughs> and Nate says, uh, toss a rod in the water and get some dinner. And we used to saltwater fish all the time where we lived, and it was good eating, I'll tell you that. So, I hope you guys enjoyed that. This was fun. Um, I got to thank, uh, you know, the Renegade Butcher for coming up with the name of Luke Screws, the nuts and bolts of the latest news. Fits in with the workshop completely. And I'll try to remember that and uh, try not to get tongue-tied when I'm talking about it. But yeah, that was I always enjoy that. So I try to keep an article around, guys, for when the, uh, the episode's going to run a little short. And I hope you enjoyed the Milk Crate issue, uh, the Milk Crate episode. So as I was prepping this show, um, first off, let, let's throw this out to you guys. Do you have... So we've done five-gallon buckets. We've done milk crates. Does anyone else have a suggestion for an episode similar to this. So as I was prepping the show, I did come up with an idea for another one of these. And I want to say if I want to see if anyone else can come up with it because uh yeah, I, there's all these kind of ubiquitous items that we just take for granted that are kicking around on the homestead and nobody really ever gives them their due or their justice or the amount of, you know, sit down and talk about it. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm a geek for history, I'm a geek for interesting facts and why not make a list of things that we can end up using? Oh, there you go, Nate. I never even thought of that, my friend. IBC totes. Well, Nate just wrote another episode for me. That's great. I have a completely different one in, in mind. So, Nate, come up with IBC totes. Do you guys have any other suggestions for episodes like this? Because, yeah, I'll always come up with them. So, I'll give you a couple more minutes to see if anybody else can come up with any. But the five-gallon buckets were absolutely great. That was a huge one. And now Nate Nate mentions IBC totes, and that, that's an awesome one, too. Why not, right? Um, yeah, five-gallon buckets, milk crates, IBC totes, and, well, I drug it on as long as I can. I'm going to do mason jars. I think mason jars would be awesome. They have a ton of uses, but what they also have, if you ever go through, go down the Amazon rabbit hole at some point, there are there is a metric shit ton of mason jar accessories things that you can find that you can put on a mason jar to turn it into something else 
And uh, Cabot said almost. I wonder if he was probably thinking about that as well. Uh, oh, Cabot was going to say small containers and cans. Hey, we can do that too. I have no problem with that. Um, I'd love to do jerry cans, but it'd be a pretty short episode because you just put gas in them, but I love them. But yeah, I, I there are so many things. Yes, Cabot says uh, everything from jars to baby food to cat food cans. Well, you know what? I think we could turn that into an episode as well, Cabot. We could uh, kind of inspires me. We did that post-apocalyptic scavenging or post-apocalyptic, uh, you know, garbage scrounging and stuff with uh, Ryan from the Next Gen podcast. So yeah, we could do that one as well. That'd be great. Yeah, this is a great series. I don't even, what do you call it? Uh, <laughs> preparedness garbage? I don't know. But it, uh, yeah, so we could do a small containers one because yeah, that's great. Holy cow. And IBC totes, there's literally, there's that word I hate, but there, there are so many uses for IBC totes. So yeah, we'll do that. We'll do a mason jar one. And I've just seen so many, you know, there's couple things like I glass jars in general. Yes, you're right, Aaron. Uh, Dad always, like I said, used to take cheese whiz jars, screw the lid to the roof in the basement, and then screw the jars up. And he had uh, see-through storage. Uh, Cabot says hoard, hoarders organization. Sure, yeah, it's a, a way to justify my need to uh, keep things on hand or uh, not feel fulfilled until I get my next milk crate. You know that kind of thing. So yeah, that's what we'll do, guys. Uh, you guys just help me do. I don't know. We'll probably make this a once a month kind of rotating routine on Thursdays. But yeah, we've got enough for another to get us through to Christmas anyway. Um, oh, and Hunter says I have a print to put a handle on mason jar for drinking. Oh, that would be great. And, oh, Martinson family says uh, Grandma used to knit bread bags. And you know what, Hunter, we could do. Uh, how do we want? We could do a 3D printing episode like this too, guys, where we see what kind of items can be 3D printed that could help us preppers out there. So that might be one as well. But yeah, I have seen that, Martinson. We could almost do one for uh, bread bags because there's so many. You know, they they make an absolute great boot liner as well. I used to have uh, that all the time. Yes, uh, Aaron's all excited about 3D printed handles. Uh, Hunter, you should figure out a way to print them, and I bet you Aaron would buy a couple from you. All right, guys. Man, this was a great episode. Thank you. I always love when you guys come in and uh, just bring your A-game in the comments. This was just an awesome episode. And we got a, a ton of people going to be listening to this episode over on PBN, Prepper Broadcast Network. So don't forget to support them as well. I love them. I'm going to get to see almost all of them in uh, just over a month in Saluda, North Carolina. And for just for the craziness, uh, I decided last night that I'm going to drive instead of fly. Becky brought it up. She goes, do you ever think about driving, hun? So it's basically going to take me two days longer to drive than to fly. Uh, but I'm going to have my own vehicle. I'm going to save the cost of a flight. I'm going to save the cost of a car rental and a whole bunch of other things. Plus, I'm going to get to see a whole bunch of country I've never driven through before. So that's exciting as well because I love to drive. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to be busy while I'm down there. Uh, I got a, had a big opportunity come up that I uh, will share a little more with you that's going to help fill in four of my five down days in Camden. Uh, oh, Aaron, I might be able to do that. Thank you. <laughs> that would be awesome. Aaron just asked me to stop there for dinner. We'll talk about it. I think we might be able to do that. That would be, I never even thought of that. That'd be great, Aaron. Thank you. So yeah. And for every, for all you guys out there that are listening, I know I already plugged it, but do not forget about the patch of the month club. 
uh, patchofthemonth.co. That's the best way at this point, other than, of course, Amazon affiliate links and that kind of stuff to support the workshop. But I wanted something that really give you guys value, uh, that you actually got something that you liked and you cherished and you could collect, but it also helped support the content that I create. So I thank you guys for the support you've given me already. Yes, patchofthemonth.co. I will P-A-T-C-H of the month.co. There it is. Yes, I suppose Hunter Hunter's over on Twitch. He wouldn't see it. I had it in the pinned comment tonight, but that's the way to go. Uh, $10 a month or 100 bucks for the year. And uh, we're going to come up with a whole bunch of irreverent uh, type of uh, <laughs> patches. It's going to be great. So, um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, oh, Martinson said, stop here on the way back and teach us the courses you're taking. I would love to. Uh, I'm, we'll get down that way at some point, Martinson. I would love that or across that way. So, guys, um, yeah, if you guys have any suggestions for show topics you want to see, and more importantly, I'm getting very close to being out of guests for the show. I'm get, I'm working on booking a bunch more coming up. I try to fill in three months at a time. So if you're interested or if you have suggestions for people you'd love to see on the show, then send them my way or go by toolmantim.co and fill out the guest form. But honestly, if you just send me a suggestion, I'm totally willing to reach out to people that you think are a good fit for here. Uh, Hunter says lone wolf syndrome over on Twitch. That's okay. I, I've literally done zero to promote Twitch and people still show up on there. I never even barely told anybody we had it other than just my opening intro. So this winter, I'm going to work really hard at promoting it. Uh, my friends there from Liberty late night, they've done uh, gangbusters over on Twitch. So I'm going to keep pushing it. We're going to get there, but one thing at a time. I only have so much time in the summer. When winter comes, I have a lot more time to build the brand. And eventually, guys, this is going to be my full-time income. And I appreciate you guys for your support. I've done really well on YouTube and Amazon this month. And yeah, I'm going to be, um, where are we going to be? Prepper camp, the end of September, talking about preparedness. And then I'm going to be at Self-Reliance Festival in Camden, Tennessee, the very next weekend, talking about turning content into currency, building a content creation business. So anyway, guys, that's it for me this evening. I will see you again Sunday evening. Saturday is going to be a recorded episode. And as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week.